Today's guest on the Horny Deer Sense podcast is Garrett Rice from out in Oklahoma. Garrett founded Name the Game Outfitters back in 2017, but he's been guiding for a number of years. I've, I've followed his Instagram account for a while now, and he must be really good because he's always posting pictures of something dead. <laughs> like, and I mean, it's just across the board, uh, true to the name, name the game. Uh, yeah, you name it. He's, he's probably put it down. But I uh, wanted to connect with him just following his page. It looks like he just really enjoys the hell out of what he does. And uh, I just wanted to connect with him. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, founder of Horny Deer Sense, Scott Pratt. In this podcast, we connect with personalities across the outdoors, sharing hunting tips, reliving old hunting memories, and discussing life in general. Our goal as a podcast and as a company is to bring new hunters into this great lifestyle and to help keep the ones that we've got. So settle in, hang out with us for a little while on the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. Garrett, welcome to the Horny Deer Sense Podcast, brother. How's it going, man? It's going well. Uh, we finally we finally got this nailed down. There's been a, a lot of back and forth. Long time coming, brother. Hey, we, we both of our schedules are busy, but we finally made it happen. When did we first connect? I was trying to think. I didn't look at the messages, but it was it was months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the first time I had to cancel because I had I had a client shoot a deer or something we had to track a deer i don't know something happened where i had to i had to reschedule i think a client shot a deer and uh i ended up having to reschedule so we could go track it or it ended up taking longer than we thought anyways i, I rescheduled and then second time you rescheduled and then third i don't even know how many times we rescheduled rescheduled but uh well it made it happen i know that first time you rescheduled i'd be lying if i said it wasn't a little anticipated uh <laughs> just following your instagram feed and the number of days that you spend in the field with clients i was very prepared to reschedule so no harm yeah. no foul oh you know how it is man this time of year is just it's crazy There's, you just never know what's going to happen so this past year you know before we got started you mentioned you've had like this past season five days off <laughs> yeah yeah since, uh, I think since the last day of September, whenever I had my first group of whitetail hunters coming to camp, I think I've had five days off from then to now. And like I say, like I told you earlier, when I say off, not really off, just off from guiding. I mean, we still had work to do on the ranch between filling feeders and checking game cameras and fixing fences, you know, whatever maintenance needed to be done before the next group came in. So There's always something to be done. Always something. Did you get to go hunting yourself at all this year? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I, I shot, I had one little break between clients in the middle of the season. I think it was back in October when I shot my first buck with a bow and then, uh, I actually slipped like out. First buck the season or first buck ever? No, no, no. First buck of the season. I was about to say this, I think this is an imposter. Yeah. No, I've killed plenty of bucks. But, uh, <laughs> first buck of the season, uh, with a bow. And then like I said, uh, from there on out, I got one day to hunt and I, I, I got a buck killed with my bow. And then I didn't hunt again until after this last group. I had one more tag left. And after I got done guiding that last group, I slipped in there and killed uh, another nice buck with my bow. I hadn't even posted it yet, actually, but I killed another nice buck with my bow just, uh, I think, last week. So Nice. 
was able to fit, I was able to fill my last tag. I didn't know if I was going to get done or not, but I, I was able to I was able to get it done after that last group. So hell yeah! So you're out in Oklahoma, right? For the yeah, for the most part. For the most part, I'm based out of Oklahoma. I live in Oklahoma, but um, I've got ranches in Texas and uh, Kansas as well. So I bounce back and forth between the three states, but I'm based out of Oklahoma. That's where I live. Gotcha. So I guess early on in life were, and I could see, especially being out in Oklahoma, were you just always in and around hunting and stuff? How did, what did early life look like for you? Oh yeah. So like, so growing up, um, you know, I grew up hunting with my grandpa and my dad and that's kind of, kind of where it got my name, you know, later on down the road, name the game outfitters, because I knew that whenever I, I opened my outfitting business, I was going to guide every species there was just because when I grew up, we hunted everything. So, um, you know, when I was young, I mean, even starting at before I could even hunt four five, six years old, I was in the tree stand with my dad or grandpa, just sitting there, you know, hanging out and watching them. That's awesome. And when I was finally able to hunt myself. I mean, we, we, we went after everything, no matter what, what, whatever season it was, we were hunting, whether it was squirrel, rabbit, um, bullfrogs, deer, turkey. I mean, anything, waterfowl, upland. What's something, a particular game that's overlooked that you think uh, most anybody that deer hunts or turkey hunts would enjoy? Um, I, I would definitely say upland hunting. Just watching the dogs work, man. That's just, that's always something special to me. And, you know, I grew up with my grandpa's and my dad's bird dogs. And I always remember, yeah, shooting the quail was a blast, but just watching a good bird dog work, man, there ain't nothing like it. And so, like I said, whenever I got older, I, I got bird dogs of my own. I still got bird dogs. I got two German short hairs. That I got all my clients with, and uh, and, and anyone that's quail hunted enough will tell you, the most exciting thing about you know quail hunting is just watching a good bird dog work, and yeah. that's kind of what I get out of it. And anyone that hasn't done it, usually if I take them, usually they're hooked and they're on out. So that's one that's definitely an itch I haven't scratched, but one that I've wanted to. Like my dad, uh, growing up with his dad he's you know and he's got all these stories about you know after thanksgiving dinner going rabbit hunting and but always having uh rabbit dogs or bird dogs or something around but by the time we come around my brothers and i like it was just something that he didn't do anymore but it's one that i've always it's almost like that movie a river runs through it that makes everybody want to fly fish yeah it's and i've started that a little bit but as far as like with the bird dogs and stuff that's one i haven't done but i think i would absolutely love oh you'd love it man like i said shooting quail is a blast and not to mention they taste awesome but uh dude just watching the bird dogs point and honor each other it's ain't nothing like it man that's insane now, well, and like i said watching a good watching a good gun dog like a good lab when you're ducking do something's awesome but still i don't think it compares to watching bird dogs up when i don't know what it is about watching them point and honor it's uh, definitely my favorite. That's uh, and even going back to like the duck hunting and stuff. I don't know all those dogs, especially the good ones. Like there seems to be a very stoic quality. It's like they're just all business and oh, yeah. Yeah, just kicking ass. Oh yeah, but it's, it's something fun. within the dog. It's same thing with my bird dogs too. Like you get them home and man, they're reckless. Like they're full of energy. You, you almost can't stand them when they're at home. <laughs> yeah. Like they're all over the place. They're, I mean, it's like balls to the wall all the time and barking full of energy. But when you get them out in the field, it's like, they, like their demeanor completely changes. They go into hunt mode, listen to everything you say. I mean, they got a shot collar on too. But, yeah. yeah. 
they go into a completely different mode when in the field. You know, it's just completely different than what they are when they're at the house. So how long has Name the Game been around? Uh, since uh, 2017 So uh, is whenever I uh, officially started Name the Game Outfitters. Before that, um, I was just kind of doing it part-time. I was working on my uncle's ranch. But I, I started guiding whenever I was about 13, 14 years old. Whenever, I guess when I was 12 and 13, I started out skinning. My, uh, my uncle owned a hog hunting ranch, and I started out skinning on that ranch when I was young, and that was kind of like my summer job. You know, whenever I wasn't playing baseball, I kind of grew up playing competitive baseball. So whenever I wasn't playing baseball, um, I got any chance at all. I was out there, you know, skinning for clients. And then about a year, year and a half of that, I started guiding. And so I grew up guiding there, guiding hog hunters. And so I kind of knew from an early age of something I always wanted to do. And then I ended up going and playing uh, college baseball. And as soon as I got back from playing college ball, I started working on uh, – as soon as I graduated college, I started working on, you know, opening my outfitting business. Nice. And as soon as I built my clientele up, I just opened up my business and just it just kind of blew up from there, man. Well, I'll tell you, following you on Instagram, uh, and even before this conversation, you know, I, I told my wife I had a, a podcast to record today, and, you know, she was asking about who I was speaking to and whatnot. And uh, she's like, where's he, where's he out of? And I'm pretty sure Oklahoma, but the dude kills everything. <laughs> if you can, if you can think of it at some point, I, I think I saw a crane the other day. Yeah. Sand Hill crane. Yeah. We, yeah. Got we, we kill them in Texas and Western Oklahoma, but yeah, that's, that's, we, we talk about it all the time. We always have guys come in and, and we were actually talking about it the other day about, you know, usually everyone always says there's that one animal. They don't really ever have any desire to hunt. Or like, you know, you always hear guys all the time, even hunters, they go, well, you know, I really don't have any desire to kill that. Or I don't have any desire. There's not one of those animals for me. There's nothing yeah. I don't have desire to kill. <laughs> yeah. There's a season for it. I'll, I'll pull the trigger every every single time. That's like when I go to Africa, man, everyone, everyone gets all bent out of shape. I went to Africa and uh, I've, I've shot 30, 34, 35, 36 animals in Africa over the years. I've been there three times. And uh, I, last time I was there, I shot a giraffe. And everyone's like, I just don't see the point in that. I was like. I don't understand why you don't see the point of it. It's just it's like every four other, legs. It's, it's just twenty-two <laughs> foot tall, but it's no different than shooting a no different than shooting a kudu, which is taller. It is funny how people will look at animals so differently when just, they're all just, animals just based upon what they look like. Yeah, what they look like and yep. how they've seen them portrayed over the course of their yep. lifetime. That's exactly right. That's exactly but, right. There's no thought like, goes into conservation whatsoever. It's just, you know, whatever opinion they formed of this particular. Oh, yeah. Point. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Just like, you know, when you go to Africa, you shoot a, you know, if I ever post a picture of me with an Impala or a Kudu or a Warthog, no one ever says anything negative about it. But if yeah. you shoot a, a leopard or a lion or a, a zebra or a, a giraffe, all of a sudden it's wrong. I'm like, yeah, it, it's no different than hunting any other animal over there. I mean. You still got to manage the, the animals that you think are, are beautiful. I mean, hell, I think they're beautiful too, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to hunt them. That know? deer hanging on your wall behind you is beautiful to me. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I love mounts, man. But it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like this whole coronavirus bullshit. It's like yeah. people forget they're going to die one day. Yeah. You know, it's like they forget that there's ever been any type of illness before this year <laughs> or last year. Like, uh, it, it's kind of the same with animals. Like people seem to think that any given animal just lives forever, you know, and when, it, and when, and if it does die, 
it's in a peaceful situation surrounded by its family. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, that's what you always hear all these anti-hunters say. They say, well, let, 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 uh, let nature take its course. I'm like, what do you not understand? Humans are part of nature. We're, we're the reason a lot of animals are still here. It ain't because nature took its course, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they don't understand what, what all hunters do as far as conservation and the money they put into protecting those animals in Africa to make sure the locals don't, you know, kill them to extinction because that's the ones that you really got issues. you know they have issues with in africa yeah and hunters are the ones that pay for all the anti-poaching teams to protect those animals and as soon as you take a price tag off an animal in africa take for instance like you know ever since the cecil the lion bullshit happened um they uh banned cecil. <laughs> yeah the joke that <laughs> they banned lions from coming back into the u.s and that was the worst thing that could ever happen to lions because you took the price tag off the lion um so it went from i'm just an example i mean this this ain't the price everywhere you go over there but it went to around thirty thousand dollars to shoot a lion over there to around seven to ten grand which is terrible for lions price tag off an animal what's going to happen they're not going to be as protected as much right right um so therefore there's probably you know more chances they're going to get poached well but there's a very real very real ripple effect and, oh, yeah. you know, people get caught up on the emotional aspect and uh, they they put no thought into any of the other consequences that goes along with it. And I think that to me, that's the frustrating part, because a person that views it like that, there is no 10 minute window where I can have a conversation with that person and then walk away saying, you know what? Yeah, that, that makes some sense. It just it's not no. possible. No, you're right. No, you you ain't, you ain't gonna change your mind on it. Nah, it, yeah. It, if anything, it makes me it makes me just want to post more pictures of dead animals. I'll be. Oh honest. yeah. I, <laughs> I, if I get any negative feedback at all, it just makes me laugh. I don't give a shit at all. It ain't gonna change oh, anything. No. You can't. I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> That's it. So, and I was curious. You hunt with. Uh, a number of clients, uh, some that I, I've noticed. Uh, I was actually talking to Michael Lee this morning. Uh, I meant to dig up some dirt and it totally slipped my mind that we had this scheduled. So I have to go back for the next conversation. I, I was wanting to get with him, maybe Sean Lenny, dig up some, uh, some Rosh dirt. But <laughs> hunting with people that maybe haven't spent the amount of time in the woods like those guys, what are some of the common mistakes that you see from hunters that maybe aren't as seasoned as some of your other clients? Uh, <laughs> what's funny is the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to whitetail hunting is guys slamming the door when they get out of the truck. <laughs> it hey, me, it I'll tell you this, insane, man. I made that mistake one time. I was about six years old. And my dad, God love him. Yeah, he's a great dad. Not a patient man, okay? <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't within arm's reach or I might have tasted the back of his hand. Yeah. But I can still see the look on his face when that door shut a little too hard. And that was the last time I shut a door too hard hunting. Man, I'll tell you, that, that's that's probably the most common thing. You wouldn't believe it. You know, some of the things I see, guys, and just what clients do. And it, I don't think it's just on purpose. It's just strictly that they're just uneducated about it, you know? It's right. part of it. you got to deal well, with it. Well, and that's kind of why I frame the question that way. It's not – the thing is, hunters – every hunter is in a, a different place in their hunting journey, you know? Right. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing so much as there's just a lifetime of an educational process that goes into it. 
Right. Yeah. You, know, you, you see it all the time. I see guys that are, they've been hunting all their life and they may be in their fifties and they come hunt with me, but they may have been hunting all their life, but whoever brought them up hunting just didn't teach them the right way, you know? Right. But no, that's, that's probably the number one thing. I see it all the time. Clients get out and I'll even tell them before we get there, you know, I'll cut the lights off and say, all right, you know, we're only four or 500 yards away. It's dead calm in the morning. And then they get out and just wham, slam the door. I'm like, <laughs> It, but that and, uh, and another thing is too is like you know they'll come walking out i'll come pick them up or whatever it is and, and they'll be talking loud like while they're walking out of the stand it's like they think as soon as they get out of the blind that everything's just put on hold like yeah. you just press pause until you get back in there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah stuff like that it, you know nothing nothing serious but you know that's just that's just stuff you deal with on a regular basis well and you know nothing serious but looking at it through your perspective you know your your job is based on these people having success or not so your job's hard enough if they do everything perfectly oh yeah yeah. being being out there with a hunter you know maybe a, a beginner or you know like somebody that you mentioned maybe didn't get taught the right way as bad as it is just hunting, you know, on your own with somebody that does that, I can't imagine my job being rolled up into that too, where, you know, I've got to account for that as well. Yeah, no, 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 you're right, dude. I'm telling you, like, you, you, you may do everything right and put them in a the per- perfect position and they either, you know, miss the deer or hit it badly or, or, or hit the blind when they come to full draw. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's so many variables that can happen and you're sitting there in your mind and, you know, it may be frustrating sometimes, but you can't ever – you can't, you can't ever get pissed off or, or show your emotions because you got to realize, you know, they're there to have a good time. Right. And, you know, as long as they're having a good time, I'm happy, but obviously you still want to see them, you know, succeed and kill a deer, but you know, it doesn't always work that way. For sure. Well, and I'll say this about you as far as like, you know, not being able to get emotional from a frustrated standpoint, I will say I have noticed. And one of the reasons I wanted to, to connect with you is because the genuine emotion that you share in those pictures of these people, you can tell that you really do love what you do. Like you're not pulling a trigger, but you're taking something. You can't fake that portion of it. You know what I mean? Uh, It's not just a job. It looks like you really are having the time of your life out there. And I just thought it'd be cool as hell to shoot the shit with you. No, yeah, no, exactly. And I knew from a young age that, Unless I was, you know, if I, as, as, unless I was doing something that involved hunting or the hunting industry, I wasn't going to enjoy myself. And I probably wouldn't, you know, I wasn't going to give a hundred percent like I do now. Like yeah. now I look at it as a job because I do this regardless whether I was getting paid or not. So, um, honestly, like it's, it's something I have a passion for and I, and, you know, I take pride in it. So, you know, out there every single day, whether I'm busting ass or, or just hanging out with clients, you know, I love it, man. I w- honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any other way. Well, I'll say the, the life that you live, uh, is one that I think most every hunter would take in a heartbeat. Uh, right. you come to the, the conclusion fairly early in life, as far as what was going to make you happy and fulfilled. I came to that a little later. I had to, I had to go get some bumps and bruises and experience, uh, corporate America before <laughs> it hit me. I don't want to die pissed at the world. And if I do this, that's what's going to happen. Right, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and it looked like when you mentioned uh, a customer drawing back and hitting the blind and blowing a shot, <laughs> it, the look on your face told me that you were referencing a, a real situation. Oh, 
you don't yeah. have to talk about that particular situation, but this past season, the I guess the first heartbreaking moment that comes to mind where, you know, somebody obviously enjoyed themselves, enjoyed or appreciated you putting them in a, in a position to be successful, but couldn't quite close it for whatever reason. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind was actually happened back in October. I had a client. I put him in. I put him in there on a big deer, and uh, he'd been coming in there every single evening like clockwork. So I had a pretty good idea that you know he was going to have an opportunity at this deer. Sure enough, deer comes in same time he has been, and uh, everything is perfect. Guy comes to full draw, and common mistake. It's happened a bunch in the past, but guy was a full draw, and you know his sight clears the blind, but his his arrow didn't. Oh, yeah. So he goes to release uh, on the deer. And this deer is a big deer. This deer is in the you know mid one six. <laughs> Arrow hits the line, deflects up, shoots over the deer. Deer runs off. And ever since then, that deer was inconsistent. You know, he was in there. He was in there like clockwork until that evening. Oh, that <laughs> hurts. That, he completely changed the schedule. So no, we 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 uh you know we had a couple opportunities out the rest of the season, but uh, had another client miss him. It seemed like that deer just couldn't get killed, but. Um, ever since that day, he was, he was inconsistent. Did anybody take him or did he, did he end up making it? He, he, he ended up getting, he ended up getting killed in, in rifle season. I had a client kill him in rifle season, but I had another client miss him with a bow. Actually, after that client missed him with the bow, I was like, I don't know if we're ever going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then finally he did get shot during rifle season. He was chasing the doe. But, uh, now after that, he was not consistent, man. He completely changed everything after that. But what was your customer? Heartbreaking for him and me, but hey, he was he was still happy, so I was happy. Part of it sometimes, bow hunting. Yeah, that and that's uh that's the thing with bow hunting, and and I gun hunt too, but the the intimacy that goes with bow hunting and the margin of error, it's just. I don't know any, any, I don't, I don't care if it's a, an old doe or whatever. Anytime you can take an animal with a bow, you you've done something right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, we talk about it all the time. Anything that could go wrong bow hunting over the years, if you do it enough, it is going to go wrong. And that's where you learn though. Oh. You know, that's bow hunting. Every time you make a mistake, you know, that's always going to be in your back of your mind. The next time you go hunting to not make that mistake again, that's what makes you a better bow hunter. So, I mean, but it don't matter how, how, how good of a bow hunter you are, uh, you, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to do everything perfect every single time. That's I why it's called bow hunting, man. That's what, that's what brings you back every single time. So what we keep, what keeps you going back to the woods, you know, every time you have that, that one mistake or a failed opportunity or a miss or bad shot, you know, you just want to get back out there and do it better the next time. Oh yeah. Well, it tests your resolve, you know, yep. like just, uh, to make yourself get back out there and write that. I said, man, I'm not where I am today just by reading, reading a book or reading a hunting magazine or watching hunting videos it's because I've been out there and I've done it and yeah. I've made the mistakes, you know, when it comes to tracking or making bad shots or, or hitting them blind or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> I've made those mistakes to where every time I'm out there, they're always in my mind. Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, it's just like you learn from experience. Oh yeah. I've been in a climber an hour before daylight and realized I didn't have my release. <laughs> yeah. Too, man. And it's always that day you don't got your release. The shooter comes in. Oh, did you see that last video that I posted on Instagram? Uh, a hunter in Georgia. I don't know the guy, uh, but he, and I don't know the backstory. All I know is that he didn't have ammo. He had run out of ammo. I don't know if he had you know dropped a deer. I don't know the story behind it, but he's in a ground blind. 
And all of a sudden, this brute, and I'm talking especially for Georgia, damn good deer. But this yeah. thing, he's like maybe 30 yards broadside and just mosing through. This guy's in a ground blind, and all he can do is video this deer with his phone. Like at one point, he literally videos his gun laying here with no ammo. And damn it. The deer, I'm talking like he couldn't have been more relaxed. He couldn't have been at a slower pace. And a guy just just sat there and could video. Maybe got to load his rifle or something when he got out of the truck. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm curious uh, to find out. Like, I don't know if uh, <laughs> he had emptied his uh, clip on, you know, maybe he was thinning out. I don't know the backstory. That's how he didn't have any ammo. Yeah. Either way, that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I've well, it happened before. I, I tell you, I, I remember one time in particular, this is years ago, but I went in for an evening hunt and just something I always do. I, I usually keep my, my release in my bow case. As soon as I get my, you know, I get my bow out to put my release on before I even get out of the truck or as soon as I get out of the truck. And that, uh, that's I actually in. a pretty good tip right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and typically what I'll do is from, from that day on out, I always keep an extra release in my backpack. Even just better tip. Something like that happens. It's always smart to do. Anyways, that day I didn't, and I got in tree stand, got set up, and I was already pushing it on time, so it's not like I was going to be able to, to, to walk back out. Anyways, so I was like, oh, you know, I probably won't see that shooter this evening. Anyways, sure enough, he comes right in, and and but he stuck out at like thirty or forty yards, and I was going to have to shoot fingers. I'm like, I'm not risking this. I didn't yeah. even shoot it. I just sit <laughs> yeah. there and walk all evening. But I, I knew been a shit show. I'd have probably shot like six foot over his back. Oh. Him or something. So I was like, I ain't shooting. I'm just going to wait, come back a different day and try to kill him on a different day. And I ended up killing him a couple weeks later, but yeah, I was pissed off that evening. Oh, no. Uh, well, and to your point, there is absolutely no replacing experience. Uh, you, you can read every book under the sun about yeah, honey. Right. Nothing replaces experience. I remember when I was trying to kill my, my first deer with a bow and I didn't, you know, I had a, a bow ever since I was eight years old, but there was a number of years uh, during my teen years when my dad didn't hunt at all. Uh, so I'm like 18 years old trying to kill my first deer with a bow. Wind up in my stand without the release. I actually tried the the, the finger shot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had a doe. She was she probably 15, maybe 20 yards, but it's still my first deer with a bow and you know your first deer with a bow most of the time don't get me wrong people get lucky or you know i say lucky maybe they're just better hunters but for me trying to get that first one it seemed like if it could go wrong it was going to go wrong. Yeah. yeah something was going to go wrong i can't tell you how many deer i had within bow range before i actually stuck one and right. it was funny after i stuck one you know it, it's like you know playing baseball for a number of years everything kind of slows down after that right. But I, I go back to draw on this this dough with my fingers, right? My arrow stands straight up, you know? And uh, I couldn't even get it to lay back down to take the shot. So I'm like <laughs> doing this number right here. Ultimately, yeah, yeah obviously didn't get the dough. But that part of hunting, you know, I think especially w with people, and we're always trying to, you know, get – people into the sport and get people hunting and i think a lot of times you know people start watching hunting shows and you know they have this idea of what hunting is and then get in the field and it doesn't look anything like what's on tv That's i just right. i want people to know everybody goes through that process you know nobody oh, goes out there and kills a 140 inch deer that's right that's right hell I, I like i said you know you were sitting there talking about you bow hunting when you were younger 
I remember my first year with the bow, I think I was 12 or 13 years old, but I could even, you know, I had to legally pull back 40 pounds. So my bow was set at 40, but it was hard for me to pull back 40. Yeah. So I'd get about halfway and then my dad would be in the tree stand behind me and he would grab my arm and pull it the rest of the way back for me to break it over. Dude, that's badass. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, so my very first deer I shot with the bow, it came in as a spike. Yeah, I didn't give a shit. You know, when, when you're younger, you, you'll shoot anything. You don't care. Hell yeah. My first deer, yeah, my cool. first deer with a gun was a spike. I mounted the hell out of it. Yeah. So it came, <laughs> it came in and, and I think it was 15, 20 yards and, and I about got it back halfway and he grabbed my elbow and pulled it back the rest of the way and I smoked him and I was jacked, man. But that was, you know, my first deer was a spike and I think my second deer was a, a button buck, you know. Hell, when I was young, it's not like I was looking for 140s, 150s, 160s. Hell, I didn't right. give a shit. If, if it had a rack, I, you know, I was trying to convince my dad to let me shoot it, you know? Yeah. You know, I was happy with it. You know, it's not until you kill, you get a lot of deer under your belt to where you're willing to start passing up those right. two and a half, three and a half year old deer and actually waiting on the mature deer. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head with, I was happy with it. You know, like, if you're out there and you take a deer and you get out of that, that experience, what you were looking for, God bless you, man. Unless, oh, unless we share absolutely. a lease and you're, you're taking out, you know, 6.1 years, one year olds, <laughs> more yeah. power and, to and, you. I, you know, I, I'm good friends with, uh, Fred Eichler, me and him, been we've been friends probably 13, 14 years. And you, and if you watched him, you know, it best from him that he don't care. I mean, it, he's killed, you know, just about every animal around the world you can think of. Hell, he's the first guy to do this, the super slam with a recurve. But what I'm getting at is, to this day, the guy will still hammer a, a spike and a forky with his recurve. And, hey, he gets jacked up every single time. And he ain't faking That's how he really is. No, I, I love it. I've hunted with him, you know, a ton. And that's that's his true emotion, man. He gets jacked up every single time. At the end of the day, he's putting food on the table, and he doesn't care. And, yeah. you know, he, people give him some shit about it over the years, and then he – he doesn't care that he had a guy i think he had a guy uh, i think last year the year before give him he was giving him shit about him shooting a spike or something <laughs> he made another post and he had the back strap on the cooler and he had the tape measure on the back strap he said this is how i score my deer that's he, fantastic he, he just doesn't care man but hey like, like i like you said just a minute ago man it's whatever whatever makes him happy absolutely well and that's the thing you know a lot of the the places that people are looking at on tv they're you know they're very managed properties and you know a lot right. of people just starting they're more than likely having to hoof it on public ground i just i wish there was a better uh a better expectation for new hunters than you know because yeah, for a lot of people what they see on tv is unrealistic you know absolutely it's, it's not realistic for 80 percent of the hunters if not more so. Yeah, well, and bottom line, we need more people in the sport, you know, like uh, the public land and everything's great. But, you know, the majority of the time, and don't get me wrong, big deer are taken on public land, yep. but your expectation has to align with that property. You know, uh, <laughs> if it's a, a piece of property you've hunted for 10 years and the biggest deer taken is a 130, don't be looking for a 160, you know, like it's just setting a realistic expectation, but more importantly, just enjoy it. Get out there, be outside, turn off the damn television. That's exactly right. And, and you know, we talked, we were talking about this the other day too. And as, I, as I've gotten older, I've realized it more and more, you know, I, I got caught up in there for a while. I got caught up into, you know, holding out for the biggest deer on my property and passing up all these 140s, 150s, 160s. And so, you know, if I'm on my own property, I can do that more, but I've learned over the years, it ain't just about the deer. It ain't just about whatever you're hunting, the rack size. It's about the whole experience, you know, yeah. it's making memories with your buddies at camp, you know, 
the camaraderie, what, whatever it is, everything that goes into it, the food at camp, all the memories you make outside of just, you know, sitting on your blind, sitting on the tree stand and killing that 150, 160. And so, you know, over the years, I went on certain hunting trips where, you know, I was always holding out for that biggest bull or that biggest buck where now, I mean, hell, if I get, if I go on a hunt trip and I get a, if I get a shot at a respectful bull, respectful buck, I'm, I'm pulling the trigger, you know? Hell yeah. I'm, That's a memory. It don't matter. It, it don't matter if, that, if it's a, if it's a 120 inch or 160, that same memory is there, you know, you're able exactly. to look at that ball or look at that picture and it brings back that hunt, you know? Absolutely. Well, and you know, the odor that you get too, I think the more those things start weighing heavier and heavier, you know, like you look around, yeah, I just turned 40 last year, but like I'm hitting an age where, you know, people that I've known all my life are checking out, you know, like you just realize that, you know, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Look at the experience in general and just soak it in. Like it, it doesn't have to be based around, you know, the number of inches in a given rack, just appreciate the opportunity to still be physically able to do what you love to do with the people you want to do it with. I completely agree, man. I completely agree. It's what it's Damn, all about. That sounded, that sounded like a Hallmark card. It did. <laughs> They'd probably accept that one. <laughs> so, and we always tie it back again. We, we, you know, we like to, to, do everything that we can to bring people into the sport. So at some point I always ask for people, you know, obviously you've been doing this all your life. Uh, if anybody sees the the weak spots in beginning hunters arsenal, it'd be somebody like yourself that sees it often for people getting into the sport or looking to get into the sport. Uh, any words of advice that you would offer, whether it hunting strategy or, you know, equipment related just really anything that might help somebody looking this way man what, what i what, what comes to mind first of all is especially starting out not not everyone has that opportunity but just being around guys that know what they're doing and knowing how to do it the right way can go a long ways i mean hell I, for, for an example I, I have a couple buddies i got into hunting i i introduced them to hunting in high school and before that they just didn't grow up in a hunting family you know yeah but i introduced them in high school to hunting freshman year of high school and now, hell, you think these guys would have been hunting forever. That's and I awesome. think strictly it has to do with being around people that not only know what they're doing, but, you know, they're able to teach them the right way to where basically you can skip 10, 15 years of doing it the wrong way. Yeah. And within five or six years, you know, you're right there with everyone else. And that's kind of where a couple of those buddies, like I was just telling you about, you know, five, six years down the road, you think these guys have been hunting just as long as I have, you know? Yeah. It's just it's getting that, you know, getting taught and getting the experience from someone that knows what they're doing and teaching you the right way will go a long way versus someone that, you know, may not know what they're doing, teaching you. And then you go 10, 20 years doing it the wrong way. Just like we talked about earlier, you know, you guys, you have guys in their 50s, 60s that have been doing it their entire life, but they may have just got taught by someone that didn't know what they're doing. And it ain't their fault, but it definitely, you can skip a lot of years of hunting experience if you're taught by someone that, you know, knows what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. Well, and there's a lot of those older, older guys that have hunted the way that they hunt. And oh, they're, have, they're stuck in that old, that the old, the old style. Exactly. And they, you know, and over the course of their life, I'm sure they've seen a lot of deer, but you can't consistently see big deer doing careless things like that. Like there's a, you know, I talk to people that, uh, you know, pretty, pretty careless in a lot of ways and say, 
well, I've done this and seen deer. I've done that and seen deer. And I'm sure they have, but to consistently see big deer, right. It's, right. it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. You know, some guys, yeah, you're exactly right though. Some guys are caught up in that, the old school. They don't want to use game cameras. They don't want to, you know, worry about sync control and all of that, which is fine. Some people, you know, or just like cheating traditional. Some get, people don't want to do a compound. They only want to do traditional, which is fine. But, you know, I think any advantage that helps you, I mean, I'm going to use it. So <laughs> damn straight. Absolutely. Yeah. No, them, uh, they're not stupid animals, especially no. a deer that reaches five years old. That's another, that is a different type of deer. That's right. That's right. No, you're exactly so, right getting down to texas like the the properties that you have down there if you don't mind as far as you know name the game goes what are some of the games or different game animals that you guys offer hunts on um you, you talk about all the different species we offer yeah, and if you wouldn't mind, you know, maybe start in Texas and, you know, I'm assuming most of Oklahoma's whitetail, but even what you do there. and yeah, we, yeah. Do, we do, we do. Uh, yeah, Texas offers a little bit more, obviously, just because we got a little bit more, but um, I've got access in Texas to uh, um, guide hog hunts, waterfowl, um, quail, predator, deer, turkey, um, quail, if I hadn't said that already. And pretty much the same in Oklahoma. All my Oklahoma stuff's got hogs as well. So in Oklahoma, we do waterfowl, quail, hogs, turkey, deer, quail. And we do it all in Oklahoma as well. And then Kansas, we mainly do. We do we, we run a handful of deer hunters through Kansas that draw a tag. And then uh, turkey and uh, waterfowl up there. And then and then throughout the year, like during the off season, I do some, uh, I do some exotic hunts. Like we'll do some like Audad and Axis and Black Buck in Texas during the off season, um, like during the spring and summer months after turkey season's over. And then um, uh, when August and September come around, I guide antelope hunts in New Mexico. So, and I'm curious out of the, the different types of deer that you guide for, what are some stark differences in your approach versus how you approach a whitetail deer? Say that one more time. Like any of the other species, like some of the exotics or, you know, blacktail or any other uh, quote unquote deer species, what's the approach like when you're actually guiding for one of those types of animals versus a white-tailed deer? Um, well, I mean, the di I mean, I'd say the difference between those exotics and the whitetail, I mean, and we, we can hunt them. We got different styles of hunting really based upon what time of the year it is. Um, like for a lot of our whitetail hunts, I mean, based upon where we're at, like Western, like say, take for instance, Western Oklahoma, it's pretty wide open. So we're mainly hunting, we're mainly hunting ground blinds over food plots and feeders. And then uh, certain times of the year, like pre-rut or rut, especially during gun season, we, we kind of change it up and do spot and stock. Um, and same thing for exotics, like in the, in, the, in the summertime for exotics, we'll do, uh, we'll do some blind, you know, blind hunting, some tree stand hunting, and then we'll do some spot and stock really depends upon what time of the year it is, whether, you know, they're rutting or not. And, or, um, the client, some clients do want to do, you know, more walking. Some clients want to sit in a tree stand or a blind. Gotcha. So we kind of cater to what the client wants versus, you know, and what, what time of the year it is, whether it's, you know, their own feeding patterns or, you know, they're, you know, they're rutting or whatever it is. So we what got, about, you know, what about behavior wise, like an exotic versus a white tail, man, I'll tell you what. So, uh, 
everyone knows mature uh, mature whitetail buck is you know they can be tough to kill but one of the smartest animals i've hunted is a free-ranging axis deer no I mean, they're kidding absolutely unbelievably smart i remember my very first time i hunted them years ago um i was actually sitting in a ground blind and it was summertime they were rutting it was hot you know the ground blind was like 105 degrees brutal um and we were hunting over a water hole these axes were hitting these water holes um kind of late you know about a couple hours before dark they were coming in and hit this water hole anyways i was sitting there i kind of had a marginal wind about a five mile per hour wind but it was kind of marginal but i was like you know it would hit being as calm as it is i got all these windows closed i should be all right so bachelor group of whitetails come in and they're kind of like they come almost almost quarter downwind of me and they don't even bat an eye at me they don't even check the wind they come right into the water hole they drink turn around and leave i go well i'm good then you know if they didn't win me these axes uh, should be should be good to go the rest of the right. evening first axis doe comes out same down the exact same trail and it's like a it's like a yearling comes out as soon as it hits my scent zone i'm talking literally breaks its legs getting out of there no way oh it's like you gotta be kidding me run back in the brush and, go, Boo! and that's uh, they make like a barking noise and it's like their alert call it's like a deer blowing basically yeah and so for like the next give me that, the give, me that evening, give me their blow again the rest of my evening so give from there on out, like this we're, we're dealing with a different animal here I want to hear their blow one more time. Do their blow again. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth stopping you, but go on. <laughs> but no, dude, I'm telling you, from now on out, like I was honestly, I wasn't even taking them serious. I thought it was, you know, it was going to be like, you know, some of the exotics you hunt, they're just not as smart as others. And that's I'll be honest with you. Every time I see a picture of an axis, like, and I think part of it is that at some level, you know, it's easy to be a whitetail snob, you know? Yeah. Like, but when I see a well, picture, a lot of people are against the whole, you know, I'm telling you, and, and you can, what's cool about axes too, is you can, you know, some people don't like doing the high fence thing. And then a lot of the high fences you hunt them in, they're huge high fences. So they don't like what people think um, you're hunting on a big ranch, but it, what's cool about axes, you can actually hunt them free range in Texas. And, you know, my first couple axes, I hunted them free range. And wow. I'm telling you, talk about killing a mature axis buck free range is no joke really my very first one i killed i worked for it and like i told you that first experience i had um when that, that yearling blew at me i was like i just had four or five uh mature white toe bucks coming in a bachelor group never batted an eye at me and a yearling axis comes out and breaks his leg getting out of here after after it caught my that's wind insane that so honestly this is a different ball game so the next evening and we had was oh as bad as the water hole we were hunting. We had the same wind all week, and it, it was a permanent blind. I didn't really have much of a choice to hunt it. But the next evening, I said, "All right, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to close every single window on this blind to where no wind escapes." And I was about to have a stroke in there. I mean, I, I had a, a cooler in there with a wet. I had a cooler in there with a wet towels. I'm just sitting there rotating. I had my stroke. <laughs> I was rotating these towels to keep from having a stroke in this blind, and. Sure enough, like clockwork, by the time they all start moving, they start coming and hitting this water hole. My wind was kind of the same. It was calm, though, but it was marginal. And uh, they come down the trail. As soon as I see that buck come down the trail, I mean, I, I'm, I'm already at full draw. I, I opened up first that front window. I'm at full draw as soon as he comes out of the brush. And as soon as he offers me a shot at all, I'll let him have it. That's hilarious. You, if they got downwind at all, it ain't like a whitetail to where, you know, if you have a whitetail buck come, you know, he comes in and sometimes something may be a little off. He may get a little nervous and maybe he settles back down. He yeah. goes back eating. That doesn't happen with an axis. It's about if like a, like a turkey spot. And movement. Oh, if anything, they're gone. gone. It ain't like they're going to sit there and stop for five minutes. I mean, they're gone. 
It honestly, I've never really entertained the thought of an axis hunt, but hearing that Blast. makes me look at it differently. Blast. I'm telling you, if, if, if anyone was ever looking to go do an exotic hunt, I would strongly recommend axis. And if you want a real challenge, go do free range axis. They're a blast. I, I love Audad too. Audad are a blast. You go hunt free range and Audad, they're cool too. But axis, I mean, not only are they, they're, I think they're one of the most challenging as far as being smart, but they're, they make beautiful mounts and their meat is incredible. What would you compare their meat to? It's hard to compare it to anything. The only thing I've had comparable to it, honestly, I think is uh, like some animals I ate in Africa. I guess most of the animals I ate in Africa were absolutely amazing, which I know they, they know how to cook them very well. But uh, in the United States, I'd say axis is probably top of my list. No kidding. Mm -hmm. like, but you like Good. it better than elk? Yeah, I like it better than elk. Wow. the only thing about an elk is you know there's a few cuts on the elk that can be tough sometimes you don't really get that with an axis it's like i don't know it's just like the entire every cut you have on the axis is is, is amazing i mean their meat is is incredible yeah i tell you another animal that's probably overlooked a lot too as far as eating is antelope you know you hear bad things about antelope all the time antelope eats awesome but you know it really depends on where i've you heard shoot bad them. things about antelope yeah, some people will shoot them in certain areas where uh, they say the meat kind of tastes sagey. I think it may just be because of, you know, where they shot it and the diet and, you know, where that animal was killed. But a lot of the places we hunt in New Mexico and Colorado, and we, we kill antelope, man, the meat's incredible. And mountain lion, man, mountain lion's another one, too. Mountain lion meat's absolutely incredible. What? I've never... Unbelievable, dude. I've never I, personally talked to anybody that's eaten mountain lion. Oh, dude. So, uh, Michelle Eichler uh fred's wife you know she could they, they cook absolutely everything they kill and she knows what she's doing she makes everything taste absolutely amazing but they kept telling me about mountain lion how how good it was well i killed a, a mountain lion with my bow with fred it's been a couple of years now um but one of the toughest hunts i've ever been on we're very physical i thought my elk hunts were bad until i went on mountain lion hunt about, about killed me man but uh uh anyway so we uh, cooked that mountain line up afterwards, and you talk about amazing. It, it literally tastes like pork. Really? Unbelievable, man. It, it surprised you. Everyone said the same thing. They're like, no way. I'm like, I'm telling you, man. Anyone that tries it changes their mind. Damn it. Now I'm going to have to book a mountain line <laughs> hunt as well. This, I'm going to have to get off here before I go broke. <laughs> <laughs> go broke. Yeah, so do, for, for people that are interested in booking some time with you on whatever given hunt, you know, whatever animal they feel like chasing, how do they go about that? Um, you know, really, uh, we need to finish our website. We've been talking about it. I stay, I honestly, I stay booked up off Instagram, you know, word of mouth and off Instagram. And, you know, most of my, my clients are repeats. So, uh, I really well, and go ahead and say, if you don't mind your Instagram account, yeah, my Instagram's uh, at Rosh Garrett, and that's R A S C H, and then Garrett G A R R E T T, and that's that's where really I post all my uh, my personal hunts and my clients' hunts. And you message me on there, uh, I can uh, I can get you booked. You know, and we, and we are going to finish our website. The website's going to be namethegameoutfitters.com. Uh, we're actually we got it about halfway done. Um, we're going to finish that to where people can get on there and look at pictures and look at pricing and all that stuff. I need to get it done. I haven't done it honestly to this point, just because I haven't had any issues booking, but I, I do need to get it done for, you know, there's those clients that don't have social media and they want to get on there sometimes and uh, you know, look at pricing and pictures and all that good stuff. So absolutely, I, I forgot to tell you, we do, we also do uh, gator hunts in September as well, right after our antelope season's done, we do uh, gator hunts and bow fishing trips in Louisiana. 
So I'd be surprised if you didn't, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I, I was telling my wife, like, go just go on his Instagram, and basically, if it moves and is not human, they probably hunt it. <laughs> There's a season for it, brother man. We're gonna <laughs> we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna go after him. I love it. Well, Garrett, I've kept you for about the hour that we planned on. I know you're busy. Uh, really, I appreciate your patience and, uh, you know, really just hanging on to, to make sure that this happened. Because uh, for, for a minute, you know, it was questionable, but we, we did it. We persevered. But really appreciate you taking the time uh, on my end. If there's anything that I can ever do to repay the favor, just let me know. But uh, no problem, yeah. man. Thanks for having me, dude. Absolutely. Uh, we'll circle back. Um, I want to leading up to turkey season, uh, revisit with a few folks and just talk turkey and some yeah. strategy. And again, maybe catered to people looking to get into turkey hunting, partly because I haven't been turkey hunting for the last three or four years or so. So I know what that learning curve entails, but. Uh, in line with your advice, your advice earlier, as far as getting with somebody that, that knows what they're doing. Yeah, I did that and it helped tremendously, but, uh, would would love to circle back maybe closer to Turkey season and talk Turkey with you. Absolutely, brother. I'm looking forward to it, man. Well, Garrett, thanks again. Uh, no stay in touch and, uh, yep. hopefully get out there and kill something with you soon. Sounds good to me, brother. Keep in touch, man. Yes, yes sir. Thanks for listening to the Horny Deer Sense podcast. I know you had to have enjoyed getting to hang out with Garrett for a little while. Uh, we'll try to get him on here pretty soon, actually, as we move closer to turkey season. Uh, we'll be bringing on a number of people to talk turkey and get into some strategy and tips and all that good stuff. Uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>